The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. with the reading of the word, but before I read our passage for us today, I just have one quick announcement. Uh, We have a lot of new babies in our congregation, which is really exciting, and Pastor Andrew has made it possible in room 213, just out these doors, to have a nursing mom's room with audio and video feed of the service. So, yes, we're very thankful for Andrew for making that happen, and I think he had some assistance in that. I can't remember who, but... Whoever made that happen, thank you so much. We're very appreciative of that. So, moms, if you want to utilize that, it's there for you. I'm going to read Psalm 46 today for Pastor Danny before he comes up to preach. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. And he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for your ministry to us, Mackenzie, as you read the word each week. Prepare our hearts to open the word together. A bit of housekeeping before we do that. Um, If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we have um, been asking our congregation for feedback and input related to uh, men that you would see fit to come and serve with us on the elder board. And I won't go into detail about uh, kind of the process, but know that we are are soliciting your guys' thoughts and feedback for the next couple of weeks, and we're doing that through... um, old school pen and paper, right? So um, we've got papers uh, there and the offering boxes, which are by the exit of every door. And what we'd ask that you do is you read through kind of the description and the process. And after that, uh, that you would uh, nominate men that you feel um, meet the qualifications and are already leading and serving in our body. And so one point might be helpful is if you're going to nominate somebody, uh, you may want to ask them. Uh, before you do that, uh, just so you, we don't have that conversation 
uh, without a level of interest. So we thank you for that. If pen and paper is not your bag, um, you can also email uh, submissions to just elders at centralbible.church. All right? We'll be doing that the next two weeks, um, and then we'll go ahead and respond to those men that have uh, been nominated. But uh, my name is Danny Kugelberg, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central Bible Church. And it's uh, my joy to be able to share the word with you this morning. I've been a pastor here uh, for over three years now, and uh, as I've been here with my family, we've experienced both life and loss, as you might expect in any church community. But this fall, we find ourselves in a time of transition as a church. We're turning together to the book of Psalms. We started a new series just a couple of weeks ago, and as a whole church, we are committing ourselves to waiting on God and to listening to one another. We'll be spending time in Psalm 46 today. God used this psalm specifically in my week to comfort my soul. We'll walk through a bit of what that's been like for me, but before we turn our eyes to the text, let's pray together. And God, we need you. That is true at all times. But there are specific seasons where we know the depth of our need more acutely. Father, you are with us. Help us through your spirit to know the comfort of the Savior who is acquainted with our griefs. Use Psalm 46 in a manner that you see fit today. Help us to have a renewed gratitude this morning for you as our very present refuge. Thank you for your steadfast love for your people. Amen. As we look to the book of Psalms, it is a beautifully unique section of the biblical text. In our English translations, we open up, we generally find it right smack dab in the middle, right? Or if you're rocking one of the, the pocket New Testaments, it's usually listed as an addendum, right? The poetic language of the Psalms fill our heart and our head with vibrant imagery and prose that hits us in a way that draws us back over and over. God's people have been using the Psalms in both worship and prayer for generations. And the Psalms were used in the life and worship of the nation of Israel. N.T. Wright encourages us to use the Psalms, or to see the Psalms, as Jesus' songbook. Jesus is not only uh, the one who used to sing and pray the Psalms, but he's also, as the promised Messiah, the object of the song. And he write, writes it in this way. Jesus wants us to learn to sing and pray these Psalms with him so that we can weep with him over the pain of the world and love with him into the life of the world and celebrate with him in his glory in the world. Now, if you like your references a little older, John Calvin said of the hymns, or the Psalms, that they are an, an anatomy of every part of the human soul. Part of the reason we're going through the selected Psalms over the next two months leading up to Advent is because the book of Psalms covers the gamut of human emotion and experience. From celebration to lament, from grief to praise, questioning to hope. It's all in there, and sometimes even in the same psalm. 
I get the privilege to, to lead worship on a regular basis with our community. And as a, music, as a musician, it's probably not a surprise to you that I enjoy music and from a lot of different genres. But what may be surprising is that I enjoy vinyl records, right? Um, odd, perhaps, because uh, they, they stopped producing largely vinyl um, about the time that I was born, and yet it's experienced a bit of a renaissance. And the reason that I like vinyl um, is because it forces me to slow down. In a media-driven, always-connected age, I have to sit, and I have to clean the vinyl, and I have to put the needle on. And I, There's no skipping tracks, there's no telling Pandora whether I like the track or not, right? I listen to it as the artist intended. I brought a few of, uh, of uh, records that I enjoy, and I'll share them with you if you'll indulge me for just a moment. So the first one is uh, an older one by a cat who was rocking back in the 40s. Um, uh, Aaron Copeland, right? And uh, one of my favorite pieces of music that he uh, wrote was a ballet called Appalachian Spring, right? And uh, it's a beautiful piece of music, and it, it expresses a breadth of emotion. There's excitement, there's pieces of calm where you have to listen in intently, and then if you're doing that, as, as the orchestra comes in, that you're awakened from your emotions, right? Or perhaps, if you would like something from uh, this uh, decade, um, Explosions in the Sky, very different. Uh, an album called The Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place, right? It's a post-rock album, a lot of guitars, no vocals. No vocals actually in either album. But I love both of these albums, and I brought them with me this morning because they're examples of kind of what we experience in the Psalms, right? They're dynamic in scope. They take us as the listener somewhere emotionally. There's themes that recur over the course of the album, and they work better as a cohesive whole. The Psalms invite us to worship God, to cry out to him, and to be reminded that he is the object and the reason for our hope in every season. This last week was a heavy one for my family and I, because a family that we know and love, a family that we have shared life with, suffered profound loss this last week. And we as a family have walked together with them in their grief. The Psalms have been my companion in a unique and acute way this past week. I first found out about my friend's grief uh, through text message, which is an oddly impersonal way to find out about something like that. And I was sitting in my office, and I just kind of slumped over in my chair. And I began to feel so many emotions in one moment that I went numb. I don't know if you've had that before. And I didn't want to move. And I didn't want to feel anything. But my Bible was nearby, and so um, I opened up to it, and I walked outside because it was a sunny day. I plopped myself on one of the picnic benches just outside the front doors of the church. And for the next two and a half hours, I started in Psalm 1, and I just poured over the Psalms. Many of the Psalms voiced confusion and pain and loneliness and loss, and it helped my heart to grab around emotions that I couldn't yet express 
verbalize or even place. The Psalms are unique because they don't patronize our pain. They don't shame us for feeling alone. They help us to sit in our grief. They help us to understand that the wide range of human emotions that we feel in different seasons are wholly natural for us to experience, that we should embrace them and not try and rush too quickly through them. Sometimes we can act as if certain emotions are sanctified, whereas others are the result of lacking faith. As Christians, we expect to feel love and joy and contentment. But if we're walking through isolation or grief or loneliness, those can seem like foreign emotions in our church circles. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he was teaching his congregation about reading and praying through the Psalms and its ministry to the believer. And he reminded them that everything we do in our relationship with God is a response to what God has already begun in his relationship with us. God chose us before we ever chose to follow him. We respond in love because he first loved us in Jesus. Now, if you're one of those new parents <clears throat> that Mackenzie was encouraging about coming into the, the mother's feeding room, or if you've raised kids of your own, think about the process of how a child learns their first words, right? I don't know if they were, you were lobbying and if it ended up being mama or dada. Elliot's first word was ball, so we were both disappointed. <laughs> I wasn't so much, but... But it's interesting, those words, we didn't just come to on our own. They were modeled for us, right? They were reiterated over and over, and once we got a handle on, on individual words, then we were encouraged to understand how to use them, to express how we were feeling and what we wanted, right? And for those who have kids that can't yet express through words, that day will come. In the same way, the Psalms help us to express our emotions in prayer and in worship to God. And through this process, we come to understand that we can come to our God with questions just as readily as we come to him with our thanksgiving, that we can express our pain as well as our joy. As Keller is pastoring his people, here's what he says to them. The Psalms take us deep into our hearts, and they do so a thousand times faster than we would ever go if left to ourselves. The Psalms also force us to deal with deep suffering and pain before we arrive there. They force us to look at thanksgiving and praise when we don't feel like them at all. That is the very reason we are walking through the Psalms together as a church in this season as we wait on God and we listen to one another. So I'm gonna usher a challenge. Instead of simply hearing and meditating on 10 different psalms selected by whoever's preaching up on stage over the next season, what if we as a congregation were to engage the psalms daily? We've got about a month and a half left until Advent comes. And if each of us had the opportunity to read two psalms in the morning and then two psalms in the evening, we would have the opportunity as a church to go through the whole book of Psalms, to meditate on them, to worship, to allow the Spirit to minister to us 
through this season. Can we do that? We could also watch Netflix. You can, you can choose. But that's enough of the prelude. Let's jump into the psalm. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Psalm 46 together. And it's interesting, if you're there, you can see that even before we enter the text, there are some pieces that give us a clue that this was actually something that was sung, something that was used in the liturgy and worship of the nation of Israel before we even get through verse 1. If you look at that and it says, according to Alamoth, um, that wasn't super helpful for me at first glance, so um, your Bible may helpfully translate that to be sung by Sopranos, okay? So if that doesn't help you at all, just know that if we were leading that today in the way that they had intended, I would not be leading it, but we'd have Eleanor or we'd have Nadia or someone with a beautiful female voice leading that, right? It also shows us that there are specific points of pause, right? We see the word selah over and over, and that helps to break up the song. It helps us to understand the structure but it also, just in a kind of cool way, reminds us that this, it's almost like we are doing a behind-the-music on Psalm 46, right? We are looking at a psalm that they used to point their eyes to him who is their hope. So as we look at it, if we use the structure that they've already provided for us, we can see that there are themes that recur throughout the psalm. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength. We already begin to learn about Yahweh, who is worthy of our worship. Then in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the very same refrain is repeated at the end of the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you looked at the psalms, or if we look through them in this next season, some of the psalms you'll see are written uh, personally. It will use words like, I or my, right? But in this case, it's using possessive words. God is our fortress, strength, our very present help in times of trouble. The psalmist wants us to know in our bones that God is with us. This song, this psalm has been sung for centuries by God's people. And it helps us to place our confidence in the one anchor that will never pull loose. Why is this important? Two reasons. Number one, you and I love to trust other things. Number two, troubles are going to come. We love to put our trust in things, things that provide us comfort and safety and security and autonomy. We like to feel like we're good. And like, things are good. And if things aren't good, or we're not good, we've developed a plan of contingencies for when the unforeseen happens. We've spent a lot of time over the last number of months talking about some of those idols, right? And so I don't want to spend time fixing our eyes on the objects that we place our trust in other than God. But I think we can agree that oftentimes we put our trust in things that will ultimately fail us. Borrow the words of Jeremiah, we have trusted in, in cisterns that can hold no water, that can't satisfy, that leave us thirsty. Secondly, 
we know that troubles are gonna come, right? And the words of John G. Mitchell, don't you people listen to your country music? To your blues, right? Listen to Hank Williams. Listen to Howlin' Wolf. Listen to good old Bob Dylan. A hard raid's gonna fall. Trouble's coming. Even if we don't listen to those references, because they're too old maybe, we know that this world is not as it should be. As a result of sin in this world, at times due to our own sin or stubbornness or selfishness, we experience real pain in our life. I still can remember sitting in class just across the street at Multnomah, and Dr. Pamela Reeve was sitting there with us. She was talking about difficulty in ministry, but really she was just talking about the cost of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And she summed up what she said in kind of a pithy phrase. And she was this, by the time I got to meet her, this small woman, but she commanded attention, right? And so she eyeballed us, and she said, you're going to suffer. We are promised that. Don't waste it. Whether the suffering that we experience is the result of corruption of this world from sin, our own foolishness, or even perhaps because of our obedience in following Jesus, we should expect suffering in this life. The trick is not to waste the pain, the opportunity. You see, we need to allow our difficulty to invite us to our knees, where we confess our sin, where we grieve that this world is not as it one day will be, and where we understand our dependence is on God, who is both with his people and up to the task. Sometimes it's not us who are doing the suffering. This last week, as I mentioned, as I was sitting with my friends who were walking in deep pain, they read through Psalm 121 together. I just came to meet and to pray with them, and their, their Bible was already open to that. And so we read it together and talked about it. We remembered that God was big enough to handle our questions. I look up to the hills from where does my help come? Last year I had the opportunity to read a book called The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. He's a pastor, served as a chaplain. And I reread a chapter specifically on listening to others in pain because I needed it this week. I want you to listen carefully to his words of encouragement and instruction to the, to the church of Jesus. He writes this. We rail against pain and rage at death because we know things are not as they ought to be. But there are many times in life when we just don't have the ability to relieve someone's suffering as much as we wish we did. The church is a community of people who acknowledge suffering, who treat it as real and enter into another's pain. Why? Because the Lord knows our afflictions. Jesus offers his presence in suffering, and so should we. This is vital in a season where we are seeking to wait on God and to listen to each other. Just this week, someone from church came up and shared with me that she was thankful to be a part of a church where she could cry and know she wasn't alone. She said that sometimes in the past, she was led to believe 
by other Christians that grief was a sign that you need more faith, that she could pray away the pain. May we be a community that weeps together, holds grief together so that we can heal together. We need to be that kind of community in our friendships, in our community groups, as we serve together, as we go to the men's retreat together. It's a little plug. Sign up back there after the service. May we not run from one another's pain. May we have the capacity and strength in Jesus to offer presence in suffering. As we look back to verses 2 and 3 in our text, we're given this vivid picture of upheaval. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Think of the contrast that we're invited to see in this picture. The psalmist sets our mind on that thing which is most sure and foundational, the earth, and he sets it against a force which is in constant turmoil, always moving, uncertain, the sea. It would be harder for the, for the original reader, and maybe for us as well, to picture that something that could be more catastrophic in terms of the elements. As I was preparing uh, for the sermon this Sunday... I found myself over at Multnomah's library because their library is bigger than my own. And in doing that, I came across um, a classmate that I had and one who lives over at Cannon Beach. And as we were talking and she saw me holding commentary on the psalm, she said, oh, what do you preach on this Sunday? I said, oh, Psalm 46. And immediately she said, oh, the tsunami psalm. <laughs> and she said... We who live in the coastal lowlands are very familiar with the psalm and its imagery that describes that type of chaos. Even with such threat of devastation, verse 1 tells us that God is a very present help in times of trouble. If you're reading the, out of the NIV this morning, it translates it differently, doesn't it? An ever-present help, uninterrupted communion with his people. I was talking to Mackenzie Williams this week who read our psalm to start off our time in the Word today. And she told me that that phrase is the same phrase, that same idea that was used as Moses is instructing the people before they enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 4.7. If you don't know Mackenzie, she loves the book of Deuteronomy. She loves it. And incidentally, she's teaching a women's Bible study on it weekly on Wednesdays. If you're a lady, I hear it's the place to be, okay? But back to the text, Deuteronomy 4.7. Listen to how Moses talks about Yahweh to his people in Deuteronomy 4. But you, who held fast to the Lord, your God, are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering and take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Then we get to the crux of it. 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Yahweh drew near to his people, ever present with them. The psalmist wants us to know and to see that just as surely as trouble will be a part of our experience, even more assured we can be that God's presence is with us. Lord Sabaoth is our mighty fortress, we just sang, right? It is actually this psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write, A mighty fortress is our God, right? Think of the words. Tuck had them up there for us. We were singing them. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Verse 2 Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Love the old English. Dust ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. As we turn our eyes back to the psalm, and we enter the second stanza, the imagery and the tone changes. The water which caused devastation and wreckage and tumult is now transformed into a life-giving resource that brings gladness. Verse 4, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Here we're given a picture of God dwelling with his people in his city, his established kingdom. Why is this important specifically in this psalm? Because again, we're invited to see the unstable nature, not only of the earth, but of the systems of this world. Psalm 46, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Nations raging against one another, or perhaps even within themselves, and they ultimately fall, but not after a heck of a lot of striving and difficulty and pain and loss. They still fall. Look at how the psalmist contrasts it for us. He, God, utters his voice, and the earth melts. The nations of the earth effort and strive, but ultimately Fade away. God, who spoke the world into being, simply utters his voice once more, and the earth melts. The apocalyptic and strong language that we see there continues throughout the psalm, much like it has since verse 1. And in verse 8, we're encouraged to behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth, how he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, He burns the chariots with fire. Now, if we haven't read this verse lately, it catches us a little off guard based on how it starts, right? Come behold the works of the Lord. We might expect something about God's creation or his faithfulness to his people or the establishment of his kingdom. But as we look closer, we see that those are the very things that the psalmist is asking us to consider. Yes, this verse can serve as consolation for the presence and might of the Lord now, 
but it also points us forward to a time when God will establish his rule and his reign and his kingdom in its fullness, when he will right all wrongs, he will end all striving, wars, enmity, suffering. For those who are familiar with the band King's Kaleidoscope, they're awesome. Just check them out. If you need more on that, see Russell Woods. But they have an album entitled The Beauty Between. And it's titled so because it wrestles with this idea that we are in the now and not yet. In a kingdom that has been inaugurated but, but is not in fullness, right? We still experience pain and suffering and loss as a result of sin. And long after I've turned the stereo off and have stopped listening to that album, there's a refrain that sticks in my mind. And it says, locking in the sovereign reign of the king of kings, trusting that he will make right all things. We know today, both through engaging the text and through our own experience, that the world is not as it should be. But we trust that a day is coming when things will be made right. First Thessalonians, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. If we look back to verses 8 through 10, we're reminded of a day that will come when all wars will cease. And those who war against God and his purposes will be disarmed, will fall silent. That is why the people of God who are singing Psalm 46 are invited to come and behold the works of the Lord. Because one day all opposition to God's justice will be ultimately defeated. This is important because this is now the setting through which we read probably the most famous verse in this psalm, right? Be still and know that I am God. I've heard that verse. I've seen that verse. As a teenager, I worked in a Christian bookstore. And I saw all manners of tchotchkes with that on it, right? Mugs and t-shirts and stained glass and soap dishes and on and on. And the interesting thing is that familiar phrase, be still and know that I am God, we often read in an isolated manner. A manner that invites us to find personal peace as we quiet ourselves before God, to stop and notice, almost to use a a word that is thrown around nowadays, to practice a mindfulness about God's presence, right? That's not to say that we can't find peace through this exhortation or that we shouldn't find solace and what we're given here. But, first and foremost, let's read this verse in the context of what it is that the psalmist is talking to us about. Rather than simply an invitation for us to consider God's presence with us, this is God commanding all opposers of his rule and reign to lay down arms, to freeze and to come out with their hands up, to surrender, Jonathan Unwards, the Puritan preacher, said of this verse that it declares that God alone is God, sufficient to still all objections to his sovereignty. The same language is used by Moses as Israel is pressed up against the Red Sea, being pursued by the mighty nation of Egypt, and he says to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God has fought for his people. And we can trust that the living word will have the final word. So the next time that we read the phrase, be still and know that I am God, would it give us solace? But would it do it first and foremost because God will come and end injustice, wiping away every tear as he establishes his kingdom that will never fail? Words of Luther, let good and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. As I prepared to preach, as is kind of a rhythm and a custom at our church, we gather together as a preaching team uh, to gain encouragement and insight so that we're not just sharing uh, man's wisdom, but we're pouring into the text And it's uh, certainly a helpful thing and has been for me this week. And as we were doing that, we're sitting there with Oshawa Hawthorne, and he drew our attention to the context that Psalm 46 finds itself in, right? So if we zoom our camera out a little bit, and we look at Psalm 45, and then we look at Psalm 47, just in a brief way, we get to see what the Psalms is trying to make abundantly clear to the original readers, to us today as we engage this section of text. In Psalm 45, God's people are invited to sing about the throne of the king and the rule which will never fade. In Psalm 46, which we're looking at now, we're invited to sing of God who is our fortress because he is present and capable to stand up against all who oppose him. And in Psalm 47, the author invites us to sing to God who reigns over all nations and in all the earth. Were we to have time today, which we don't, to read through the book of Revelation, we would see that the imagery and the ideas present in these psalms are used by John the Revelator to tell of the establishment of the kingdom by our Savior, King Jesus. As we were chewing through the text Mackenzie was quiet there in the corner, just letting Ash and I talk for a bit as we're inclined to do. And then she said, it's like Psalm 46 is drawing on the past to help us find hope for the future. I think she's right. Remember, there is a refrain that repeats twice in our psalm, right? Sometimes that can be a stylistic device in poetry or prose, But often when a phrase or an idea is repeated, it's because the author wants us to focus on that thing. What is it that Psalm 46 doesn't want us to miss? Verses 7, verse 11. This is how the psalm ends. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Of all the things that the psalmist could draw our mind to as the psalm comes to a close... He wants us to know that the God who commands the armies of heaven is present with us. The covenant God who has been faithful since the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is our fortress. Yahweh has proven himself to be faithful to his word and to his people. And he has upheld his covenant through his presence and his power. This is not some distant unknowable, removed deity that God's people are called to praise. 
This is the God of their forefathers who chose them, who established his presence with them, and who fought for their good. God's presence still resides with his people today. But now because of the finished work of Jesus who ushers in the new covenant, those that abide in him experience the presence of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit gives us new life and gifts through his work, producing fruit of the kingdom in us. Also, in times of trouble, he is our very present help, interceding for us when words fail and providing comfort amidst difficulty. May we find comfort in the Spirit as we look through the Psalms, as we worship and pray through them, as they help to give voice to our grief and our pain when troubles come. May the Psalms teach us to approach God with whatever the next season will bring. And so today, as we wait on God and we listen to one another, may we pray and sing the Psalms that Jesus and his people sing. I thought it only fitting to end our time in the Word today by worshiping through song. But instead of singing the song together, I'd like us to listen to Psalm 46. Chelsea Scott recorded a beautiful rendition of this psalm. And I pray as we close that the words of the psalmist would comfort our hearts through the Spirit and give us confidence in the one who makes and who will make all things new. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.